media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Philippians 4. We've been in Philippians now for quite some time. And uh, uh, next week will actually be the, the last uh, sermon that we have. We'll wrap up Philippians next week. We said that Philippians, that Paul follows a pattern that he sets uh, throughout most of his letters, if not all of his letters, and writing to the different churches, that he would cover theology first, and then kind of the practical, how does this thought, the theology apply to life? And uh, we see that again in a very practical application, but it's built on theology. And hopefully you've begun to understand why he does that. That he's not just saying, okay, here's some practical truths, here's some things to keep in mind, here's a way to live, but he bases all the ways of living upon solid theology. And so this morning as we go and we begin to learn about contentment or the lack thereof, we begin to see that he's not just saying this from a philosophical point of view, he's not saying this really from just kind of a, hey, I want to be a positive thinker here and things are going to work out. No, he's coming with biblical truth with theological truth all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Folks, it all is about Christ. And we just sing some songs that are somewhat uh, easy to say words to, except for maybe the first one, because we're not used to that verbiage. But we can make those declarations, but do we really live them out when the stressors come to our life? When all of a sudden we begin to see cracks in the path that we had charted. And all of a sudden, maybe it's a relationship problem. Maybe it's a a financial problem. Maybe it's health and sickness that comes to either us or our family. And all of a sudden, there's this uh, pattern of anxiety. And we've been talking about that. Paul's been addressing that now for the last couple of weeks. And he always has one answer. In one way, we can see that, say that uh, in simplicity, that the answer is Jesus Christ. And I, and I don't want to take away from the simplicity of that answer, but I want you to know that truly this is the hope that we have. That what Christ has done and what he's accomplished now gives an answer, not just to our life eternally with God in heaven, but even to, to begin to, to really experience the fullness of Christ even now here on earth. So Paul begins to deal with difficult subjects, and one of those is contentment. It's not difficult because it's a hard subject to conceive. It's hard because, for the most part, we are discontented people. So let me start off by making two theological truths that we can find throughout the Bible, and especially in Paul's teaching and God's Word here, and uh, that he's going to make a, a basis of where he takes us this morning through his word, okay? Truth number one, you were born with a nature of discontent. Would you agree with that? If you're a young parent, would you agree that your child, as sweet as they are, was born with a nature of discontent? Now, when we travel back, we see that that all comes from what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and and really, you could really say that the first sin, in many ways, was a, the sin of discontent. All of a sudden, they get tempted that God is holding out from them something that they could have if they only did this, if they ate from the tree of knowledge and life. And, and so they're tempted at that point to be discontent with what God has provided for them. They were sinless, but they were certainly made with this capacity for sin. In other words, they weren't robots. 
And so as they kind of looked at that, they, they began to see that as wonderful as this Garden of Eden was, that God did make one restriction. Have you ever thought about that? That there was all these trees to eat from, he was perfect provision all the way out, and yet there's one restriction. And the very temptation that came there from the serpent that day was God's holding out. Here's one thing, that if you have this, you're going to be like God. And it brought a measure of discontent. They acted upon it. That sin came into their life, and we call that the fall. And ever since then, we have been born with what we could call a sin nature. So as wonderful as your children, your grandchildren are, they were born with a sin nature. And with that nature comes the nature of discontent. Truth number two. Contentment is a spiritual condition, not a material condition. And folks, I I think that many of you would probably agree with this wholeheartedly right from the very beginning, that you know that contentment is a matter of our spirit. Uh, the mind and the heart that God has given us. And yet, I, I've heard too many sermons, even in this day and time, where people are saying, okay, you know, God's going to bring contentment by providing fill in the blank. And, and we don't see that biblically. I don't know that we could really make a case for that with Paul. Or that Paul would say, okay, I'm content because God has given me everything that I really wanted. That when this broke, he gave me a new one of those. When this was the blank of my life, he filled it in with this. Contentment is a spiritual condition. It's not a material condition. And yet we've kind of changed into that. We've Contentment can't be solved with things. Many of you have found that out in your lives. Some are still struggling to learn that. And, and that's why I like where Paul says, I've learned to become content. It was not his nature. He was born with a sin nature, just like we're. It's not natural for us to be content. And yet, through Christ, we can learn to become content. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever had a really good meal, and for that moment, you were content? Or maybe you even went past contentment to uh, kind of hurting. You know, it was just such good food. And you enjoyed the fellowship and the time together, and you were content. Maybe it was family. And maybe the meal was just your favorite food. And for that moment that you were content, did that contentment last? Of course not. It may have lasted for an hour or two hours or three hours. Or maybe you say, I don't feel like I need to eat again till tomorrow. But eventually, did your stomach physically become discontent? And so you needed something else. As wonderful as and as content as you were, well, we find out that that contentment is not lasting. Remember your first house? For some of you, that was way back. And, and you're going, man, that first house. But remember how in that first house, I mean, it may not have been much, you know, a floor and a roof and some walls. And yet it was yours. And it wasn't your parents. And you weren't living in their bedroom and this kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden, you just loved that house and you were content. And then over the years, that you know, you began to see that Maybe you added family members. You had children and all these other things. And all of a sudden, there was this measure of discontent. Oh, we need some more room. And some of that is practicality. And all of a sudden, the walls start to close in as you add family members. But there's this measure of, okay, we probably need to look for a bigger house. Now, is that evil that all of a sudden we have a practical need in our lives and we seek to answer that practically? Is that evil? No, it's just part of life. 
But when discontent begins to reign in our hearts and our lives, when all of a sudden that's the dominant thing, then folks, that part of our sin nature that is not content with the provision of God, it can become very much a sinful part of our life. You see, contentment is a moving target. But what satisfied you yesterday may not satisfy you tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And so it's constantly moving from one day to the other, especially this feeling of contentment. I did a little experiment this week with a lot of my discipleship guys with our, one of the life groups on Thursday night. I said, you know, is contentment more a matter of the mind or the heart? Well, what would you think? Is it a matter of the mind or the heart? Now, I didn't write all the statistics down. I didn't write down everybody's name. But here's what I did find out from asking that question is that, number one, they said, well, you know, it's kind of hard to separate sometimes the mind and the heart. They work so universally together. And in Hebraic teaching, the Jewish teaching, they would have combined those oftentimes. There's times in the Bible that they separate them, but there are times that they combine those together. And because God made us that way. And, And I was interested because some people said, you know, for me... Contentment is a matter first of the heart and then the mind. Others would say the mind and then the heart. And I found out that there was an inconsistent answer. I don't know that there's a biblical answer, a right or a wrong. I think a lot of it has to do with personality, where we are in life. But I do know this, that contentment is a matter of both the mind and the heart. I don't know which one. It's kind of chicken or the egg. Which one comes first? For me, personally, it comes contentment in the mind. As I take God's truth, apply it to my mind, then it will begin to shape my feelings. Others, you say, well, my feelings are kind of shaped first, and it kind of can, you know, shapes my thoughts. We're all wired up a little bit different. I don't know that there's a biblical answer here, but I do believe with all my heart that what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in God's Word, what God has been addressing, that this mind and this heart, is it a battlefield? Very much a battlefield. And part of that battle is this whole arena of contentment. And so we look in the Bible and we go, okay, by, you know, direct us of how we can be content. And we come upon some passages like we find Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Now this is God's word, okay guys? This is God's command and his direction. This is truth. But it's pretty weighty. Look what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take anything, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Truth, hard. I mean, especially here in America. I mean, we've been kind of sold an American dream. We've been sold kind of this mindset that, you know, bigger is always better, that more is always better than less. And so even our culture, besides our own sinful nature, is kind of conformed to, you know, really just be satisfied with this. I mean, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take any, we cannot take anything from it. Do you think that's a real truth? When it comes to material things. Yes. And yet, how much do we really apply that to our living and our thinking every day? And so God gives us direction. But have you ever wondered, 
as true as that is, how in the world do you find that level of contentment? How do I deal with this inner desire to want more or better? Years ago, we had a conversation. We were sitting around and we were talking about how we were brought up and how, you know, in previous generations, our parents and maybe our grandparents, that one of the driving desires of our parents and our grandparents was that we would have it better than our their children. You know, that, that they would, that we would have it better than they did when they were growing up. Can you identify with that as parents and grandparents? But then we began to talk about, but you know, we grew up pretty well. We had a lot of things at our disposal as far as material things and things like that and, and comforts around us. And we wondered, is there a place, and we were just being philosophical that night, we, is there a place where instead of wanting our children to have it bigger and better or more, that they would have it more authentic and true and maybe even simple. Kind of goes against the whole American dream thing. But is contentment simply lowering the bar of expectation? Some people would say that. Some people say that biblically to, to be content is, you know, instead of putting the bar here, you just need to lower it. And folks, I, I want to challenge that thought in your mind. I don't know that it's lowering the bar. I don't know that that's necessarily. I think we could get rid of a lot of things that we have in our lives. But I don't know that what Paul is teaching here is what God is telling us is that contentment is found that we just get rid of a lot of things. And I'm not saying that from a a point of loving material things. I'm just saying that's not seemingly what Paul is directing us to. And yet a lot of times if we wanted to define contentment, it would be, well, just we need to have, you know, less things. Paul's going to say he had less things and he had more things. And he found a way to be content no matter what the situation. So as we begin to look at this word this morning, how do we do this? How do we live and, and say, okay, but if we just had a food and clothing and a boat, we'd be content with these things. I mean, you fill in the blank with what it, you know, a, a, you know, whatever is your blank there. How do we live the scripture? So as we come to Paul's final uh, verses to the, in his letter to the Ephesians, we see that contentment goes hand in hand with the whole theme of the book, which is joy. And he closes out this letter by first thanking them for a gift that they had sent. They had sent it from uh, a man who had brought this gift, and it almost cost this man his life to bring that gift. And so look at verse 10, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Well, you can kind of take that a couple different ways. You cared, but then you didn't care, and now you're caring again. But then he clarifies, look what he says. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, you know, there was a time when you were supporting me and supporting the ministry, and then you kind of stopped, but it wasn't because you didn't love me, you didn't want to support it, you just didn't have opportunity. So so he starts off with that, and now look at verse 11. This is when we get into this whole mindset of contentment. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In a way, it's kind of a side-handed thank you. It's kind of like, you know, somebody, if you, let's say that you got them a really nice coat for Christmas. I mean, a really nice coat. 
You give them this coat, and they said, man, I love this coat, but you know, I don't need a coat because I never get cold. It's kind of like, okay, thank you, but you know, I don't have need. So is that what Paul is saying here? Thank you for the gift, but I, I don't really need it because I've learned this contentment. No, he's thankful for their involvement in the ministry, but he wants to point them to a life lesson, a truth that he had discovered and was still discovering in his life. And it's however, whatever verbiage you want to use, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how Christ trumps everything. His supremacy and his sufficiency is above all things. You can be very theological, you can be very practical, but the truth is the same. Christ is sufficient. He is supreme. Christ is enough. And that is Paul's proclamation. Now, in one way, you say that that's not really practical, that when you're hungry, you need real food. Paul would be the first one to tell you that. But remember, we're not talking about hunger. We're talking about contentment. And contentment is a spiritual condition. Now, look very very closely at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. And that word no, there's two main words uh, that the Greeks would use for the word no. One is to, to kind of know in theory. The other one is to know by experience. And he says, I know from experience. I, I know because I've lived this how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul doesn't say, I've learned to go without food, folks. I've learned to breathe air, and air is sufficient. I don't don't ever have to eat again. I'm not trying to be silly there. I'm trying to make the point what Paul is claiming, but what he's not claiming. Because again, one of the temptations that we have is simply looking at biblical contentment as a lowering of expectation. And while that certainly can improve a level of contentment in a practical way, Certainly we can do with less and there's a beauty of simplicity of having less things. That's not what the point that Paul is making. And so we just want to be biblically clear here. I mean, one way I can say, guys, go out this week and if you really want to be content, sell all the things that you have and just get rid of all these things and you'll find contentment. And you could do all of that and if you don't get the spiritual truth right, that by itself is not going to bring contentment. Does that make sense? It's not that it's not a good thing to do. Could we all live a simpler life? Yeah. And could it bring some level of practical you know, contentment in our life to do that? Yes. So we're not disagreeing with that thought. That's just not the thought that Paul is presenting here. What is he presenting? Instead of a negative view or a less than view, what he's saying is, okay, I found the answer to contentment. And that answer is Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, that's really spiritual. That's not really, what kind of problem is it? Is it a practical problem or a spiritual problem? It's a spiritual problem. And so he deals with it spiritually. Guys, I'm really not trying to be silly or ridiculous here. But if we don't know what the real problem is, then then we're going to treat symptoms instead of the illness. Have you ever had the doctor tell you that there's really nothing we can do about the illness, but we can treat the symptoms? And you're going, okay, at least I can treat the symptoms. You know, there's at least a little bit of satisfaction that you're not going to be coughing as much or you're not going to be hurting as much. And, you know, 
you're going to, you know, have this medication to help with the pain. So, so you're thankful for that. But what do you really want? The treatment of symptoms or to eliminate the illness? And Paul, God, Paul's just the one that's writing it. Says you have an illness. And that the answer isn't just to treat the symptoms. Live a simpler life, even though that would go a long way in a practical way. That's not what Paul is pointing to. Will that illness ever be gone in this life? I don't know. He uses this word learn. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. But see, the danger of treating the symptoms of discouragement is that pretty much it's a losing battle. Why? Because what we said before, contentment is a moving target. What satisfies you one day may not satisfy you the next day. And one of the things that usually is dependent upon becoming content, listen closely, is a change in our circumstances, a change in some dilemma that we're facing in our life. For example, if we're having financial problems, we want to change the amount of income or the money that we have. And so we, we think we're going to be more content if we can pay the bills. And is there a reality, practically speaking, that if we have enough money to pay the bills as opposed to not having enough money to pay the bills, is there a level of contentment on that? Yes. Don't be afraid to say yes. He, it, this is not so pie in the sky that it has no earthly relevance. I would say just the exact opposite, that it has every bit of earthly relevance. But is our contentment going to be treating the symptoms or dealing with the illness? If you're liking a a right relationship, you say, no, what I really need is a better relationship. I I lost my love, and so I I need to find somebody else to love. Is that an evil or a bad thing? No. But is it going to be the answer to a commitment, to a, 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 a... being content deep within your soul? That sure is a lot of pressure on that other person then. If that person is not Jesus Christ. See, that's why Paul is not saying that he has learned to be content just by lowering expectations or getting a change in his circumstances. No, look very carefully at the verbiage that he uses here. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word of God this morning. Look at verse 11 and 12. And you, you decide for yourself. Is he talking about lowering his expectations? Is he talking about, okay, fix my circumstances? Or is there another solution that he's pointing to? Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Is he talking about, okay, when God changes this circumstance, he's in prison. When I get out of prison, I'm going to be content. Is that what Paul is saying? I said, whether I have a lot and I have my freedom and I can go on missionary journeys like I've done before, or whether I'm right here bound in these chains, I've learned to be content. Paul, by this time, and we can go back and look in Acts, he's already been made aware by the Holy Spirit that he's in his last days. 
The very Spirit of God has told him to say goodbye to some people because, because he says, you know, eventually you're going to die a martyr's death. He doesn't know the day that it's coming. But Paul knows, because God has given witness to that, that that's going to happen. And so he needs to say, okay, only if I get to live five more years, ten more years, and he fills in the blank that I will be content. Is that what Paul is saying? Whether I have much or whether I have little. Whether in this circumstance or this other circumstance that, that is miles apart, I've learned to be content. So what's that answer? Philippians 4.13. Perhaps the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. (laughs) And what really makes it bad is when we use it in this other way that we often use it in, in modern Christian society, we're actually talking about the exact opposite of what Paul was talking about. We're talking about, I can change circumstances because God's going to let me hit this home run. He's going to let me pass this test. Now, can God allow you to hit a home run? Yes. Can he help you to pass the test? If, if you're going and you're trying to you know pass your CPS to, to, uh, uh, CPA test to become an accountant, can he help you do that? Yes. Well, we're not denying that God is not a help. That's not what this verse means, guys. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. When I have much, God can be the one that, that guides me in blessing. When I can't feel or think that I even have blessing in my life, God can show me the blessing that he has given me life through the Son. Guys, this verse is not about God's going to change the circumstances. No, it really is just the opposite. That in the midst of highs and lows and every other path of life, that Christ is our strength. Some of the hardest times of ministry. Sitting down with family members, maybe a, a person who's just widowed an hour before. Husband passing on. Sitting down with parents who've just lost a child. In the highs and the lows, guys. If it's simply that God's going to change circumstances, then God has let us down. And I don't have a word for those hurting people. Not to make light of those dire situations. But the power of God's word, even in the darkest of earthly days, I have the strength of the gospel. I have the power of Christ. He will care for you. He will bind up the brokenhearted. This is our hope, guys. Not maybe a change of circumstances. Would we want that in an earthly way? And, and, and is it evil to, to not want that? No. But what if God doesn't change your circumstances? Can we still say, I'm content? 
Not because my circumstances stink, but because I have a security that doesn't ever change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's given me a promise that will never fade away, will never rust, or moth will never destroy. This is the hope of the gospel. That God gives us Christ. Well, Bobby, again, I, I, I kind of believe that, I kind of get it, but that's so spiritual. What kind of problem is it, guys? It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual condition. It needs a spiritual answer. And God gave us a spiritual answer in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, I know that's not how we're wired up. I, I know that we just want the problem to be solved. I get that. And something happens to my children and grandchildren. I promise you that will be my leaning. I promise you. My old nature, my flesh, will say, okay, the only solution here is if this gets corrected. But what if it doesn't get corrected? Has God let me down? And this is where we have to have a faith that understands the power of what God has given us. I promise you in seminary, my buddy Mark is here this morning. We were in seminary together and he's been a pastor and a minister now for 40 years plus also. They didn't teach us that, did they? Not, not in the sense of, okay, here's the ready answer when somebody who's just lost their husband, just lost their wife, just lost a child, just going through this difficulty or that difficulty. And through the 41 years, guys, I've had to learn the sufficiency of Christ. And so let me give you this, this help today. This is a learning process. To, to, to say I've learned that in whatever situation I am, I am to be, I can be content. In every, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty or hunger, abundance or need. Paul knew that contentment is a spiritual condition and it is a spiritual answer. And that answer is not a thing, it's a person, it's Christ Jesus. And, and folks, either you're going to grasp that or you're not going to grasp that. You can give mental agreement, but until mental, heart, and just faith, we, we will not find ourselves content in every circumstance. But we will be left to, to kind of be in the prison of discontent. So it's a maturing thing. It's a growing thing. And my encouragement to you this morning is that even Paul, here near the end of his life, maybe just days left, said, I have learned. In other words, this wasn't instantaneous to Paul. Perhaps one of the greatest minds, one of the most faithful lives in all the New Testament. And he said, but I've had to learn this. Well, maybe Paul just didn't have it as tough as I did, Pastor. Go read. Shipwrecks, snake bites, beatings upon beatings that almost took his life, imprisonment over and over again. This is a guy that could use that Greek work, I know from experience, not just I know from theory. Paul knew what he was talking about. So it's encouraging me to, this morning that he used that word learned. This is a learning process. Remember, we were born with a nature of discontent. But if you have trusted Jesus and his work, he's given you a new nature. 
Is there still going to be tension between the old nature and the new nature that Christ has given you? We talk about it all the time. Go read Romans 7. You'll get a theological basis of that. This tension. That just because now we are new creations in Christ doesn't mean that sometimes I don't battle the old nature. And if I got a phone call just in, in, in five minutes that my child, one of my children or one of my grandchildren, I promise you that old nature would only find contentment initially. Just, okay, is the problem solved? Was the cure found? In any and every situation, Paul says, I've learned to be content. Part of spiritual maturity is learning to trust the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Quick question. Is Christ supreme only because you believe it? No, he's supreme. Is he sufficient only because you believe it? No, he is supreme and sufficient all on his own. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And yet for us to embrace that truth in every experience of life, the highs and the lows, as Paul would say, and to learn to be content in the provision and the providence of God is really a hard thing to do, but it's part of spiritual maturity. My hope and my prayer is that as we would become 50 years old or 60 years old or 70 years old or 80 years old or 90 years old, that we would be more content in this truth, the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ, than we were when we were 20 or 30. Does that make sense, guys? Please, no disregard if you're in your 20s and 30s or if you're younger than that. Because God can give you. I've seen some people of faith in their 20s that blew away people in their 60s and 70s. But if this is a learning process, then one thing that I think that we should ascribe to our lives is that we would be learning by all the circumstances of life that Christ is sufficient. Next week, we're going to end the series. I'll give you a little preview by looking at verse 19. And this will kind of lead us to the point of really understanding the the beauty of this verse. You've probably heard it before. It's kind of a popular verse, but we'll be able to see it in full context next week because we've traveled so methodically through the book of Philippians. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ is supreme over all things? Do you believe that He's sufficient for every need in life? According to our need, our, yeah, sort of, but really the payment is not according to our need, but according to His riches. And next week we'll, we'll see that, how that ties into this whole subject of contentment. So that it's not just something that we throw around, you know, I'm just content in Christ. But that we can say that as a declaration of our faith. We can say that as a declaration based in truth. And not just hoping that it happens. Because I don't know about, you know, this last week, content? Hope you had a good contentful week. What was your 
contentment based on, hey, it was a pretty good week? Or was it based on knowing who you are in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ? Well, Bobby, you always have to take these practical things and turn them back to this spiritual truth because it's a spiritual problem, guys. And he hasn't given us just this practical little answer. He's given us his son. He clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us, died and rose on the third day to give us victory, a hope of eternity, but a hope for today and the ability to be content no matter what circumstance we'd find, high or low. Contentment isn't just lower the bar. There's some beauty in that. Don't get me wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about. Hey, just lower the standard and Christ can meet that low standard. Christ can meet any standard of your life, any need that you have, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I can't wait to preach next Sunday. This is such an amazing verse when we get it biblically right. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, part of spiritual growth is admitting that we are challenged, that sometimes we struggle with, Father, something in your word. And Father, I think that we could all agree this morning that this area of contentment is something that we do battle with. And to be real honest, Father, that sometimes we feel content when simply you change the circumstances. We, we needed some money and you, you gave us some money. We needed a new love and you gave us a new love. And Father, as good and practical as that is, whether there's going to be times that we find ourselves in a situation Well, Father, we're not just going to have the highs and a change of circumstance that went in our way. But, Father, we're going to find ourselves sometimes in a place, at least in in, in earthly existence, Father, where that circumstance is not going to immediately change. But you have not left us victim to our circumstances. You have not left us imprisoned by our circumstances. You've given us victory through your Son. Father, thank you that you took this a spiritual battle and you gave us a spiritual solution and your son, Jesus Christ. Father, will you help us to grasp that today in a real way, in a way that is applicable to our lives, that we can live out this next week, whether we're living in a high time or a low time, that we would find that Christ is enough for us. We love you and we thank you that you filled in the blank of our heart, not with things that fade away, but with the death, the resurrection, and the victory of your Son that will last for eternity. Thank you, Father. What a gracious and loving Father you are. And now, Father, we, we end this service. We sing this song to you. Help us to be learners. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to mature, Father, as we travel on in, in time and age, Father to trust you more and more, to find contentment in Christ, in Christ alone. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online 
www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.